Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Yiddish Book Center's White Goat Radio. Uh, we're here today to talk about Yiddish, which is a uh, brand new sculpture just installed and unveiled yesterday right in front of the Yiddish Book Center. It's uh, commanding, it's lit up at night, and I'm here today with the two people who made it possible. First, Lee Hutt, who's a uh, accomplished sculptor in her own right, a member of the Yiddish Book Center's Board of Directors, and together with Leif Rosenblatt, the member of the two-person committee that uh, commissioned and chose uh, the sculpture, and Simon Kogan, who is the sculptor all the way from uh, Washington State. So I want to welcome both of you. Thank you, thank you very much. Great. So Simon, Pleasure I'm going to, to I'm, I'm yeah. start with you. Since this is radio, no well, one can actually see. Only because I'm bigger. <laughs> no, just because you're the uh, guy who designed it. So, mm -hmm. uh, so can you describe the sculpture? What's it look like? Oh, it looks like a very big and heavy piece of steel. I mean, the whole sculpture itself is one word, which is word Yiddish, slightly stylized, slightly. Semi-turned into the architecture and the symbolism of it. So I pretty much melted letters together into one flowing design and without actually knowing what you're looking at, you would think that it's a piece of architecture, an independent sculpture, rather than any particular word. But when you know that there is a word hidden, then it becomes more mysterious and more pleasant to look at it. And the whole body of the sculpture is engraved with the text of the poetry, which creates that sheen of the whisper, you know, because it depends on the light. If you have the light traveling across the surface, you see the text appears, and then when the light moves on, the text disappears into the body of the sculpture. So it's, um, it's an arc. It is 11 feet long, it's four, and four feet tall, and it's made out of corten steel, which is three inch thick. So the steel itself is like a battleship, huh? It's Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and how, how much does it weigh? It's practically two ton piece. Wow, all right. So it's not going anywhere, right? I was worried that it's going to tip the building. <laughs> 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 all right. So, Lee, how can we have a sculpture in the first place? Where, where did all this idea come from? So. Well, because, perhaps because I'm, I am a sculptor. Um, and we, we, I think we started with um, the landscape, the gardens. I was on the garden committee and um, how you um, invite people to walk around. And, and I always felt that there, a sculpture would um, enhance what we already have with this beautiful building. It would add an element that people could um, gravitate towards. And um, so I always wanted one on the ground somewhere, and now I'm interested in more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then my other question for you, how come Simon? Well, how did you pick him? Yeah, how come Simon? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, too. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I, look, I always looked at sculptor's work um, and considered lots and lots of sculpture lots and lots of sculptors and then and Leif and I talked about it for a very long time and he'd send me names and um, and I knew Simon and I I really knew he was right but you do go through a process when I, I introduced the idea of Simon 
Kogan as the sculptor, and Leaf looked at his work, it was really immediate, yes, this is right, this is okay. Right. And Leaf is also a discerning uh, uh, collector and appreciator of, of art, I should say. Leaf was the only person I would have on the committee because he does know sculpture and he does know art, and he's, um, well, so he's such a, a great guy that yes. I wouldn't have anybody else on my committee. Great, great. So, so Simon, you, we didn't give you a commission to make a sculpture of the word Yiddish. We gave you a commission to make a sculpture that was fitting and appropriate and would enhance this building and, and sort of embody what we're all about. So how did you hit on that? Out of my experience being a sculptor, I would say that that was the longest road out of all my sculptures. Because, you know, I've done a lot of monuments. None of them was so intricate in design and changing. So the concept of, the, okay, let's put it this way. To begin with, the problem was the building from me when I received the first photographs from Lee. I knew that I have to come because yeah. it's a one-of-a-kind building and I knew right away from the beginning that it's going to be very challenging building to fit. Right, because the building has its own kind of sculptural Abs element, if it, as it a, were, right? Yeah. A, absolutely. Yeah. B, it has a very difficult scale to deal with because it looks big and at the same time small. When you're next to it, it looks normal. When you're far away from it, it looks big again. So it's a very complicated issue of putting the work into it so it doesn't look big or small. You don't right. lose it, you don't overpower right. it. Right, you don't want so to fight with the building. You want no, to, uh, absolutely not. You have to be, it, right? you know, yeah. have to fit it so it looks like it's always been there. Practically yeah. people don't see it, you know, so it's, that's the, r the right fit when the people don't see it and it feel like it's been there forever. So that, that was a challenge, and um, the process of work was very simple, I mean, straightforward. It was very slow climb uphill. I was going to say, so how long did this simple process take? That was two it. years. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It took us two years, practically. Yeah. It took me a year and a half yeah. to design it, and then the people who were thinking that it was going to be such a simple thing, production, right, right. underestimated about three times <laughs> what they need to put into it. I think they said that inst instead of 70 hours, which they planned, they spent 170 hours on it. These are the fabricators. This is just it. the people who are mulling the metal. So uh, let's just talk about that for a second. How, yeah. how in the world do you bend metal that's three inches Yeah, this thick? is uh, absolutely exciting because <laughs> to me, because A, I always dreamt about working with Cortan thick steel. So I came here, I measured the building, if you remember, right, you sent right, me the right. drawings, and then I came home, I built the model, and then into the model I start simply, you know, I wrinkle the paper and I throw the piece inside and see how much volume I can afford. Right. And yeah. that slowly, that volume becomes a shape, and slowly I realize that I need some kind of form of arc to lock at it, like an, you know, like an apsid in a building, in a, right, in a right. temple. And so slowly but surely it came to that form and then I start doing that form, and slowly but surely, the words start. First, it were letters of alphabet. I see, I see. First, it was just letters, two, three letters, and then somehow the word Jerusalem was there, Shalom Aleichem was there, and somehow, slowly, all kinds of, I mean, I went through so many different words which would be symbol, right, symbolic right, to right, me. Right. And then somehow, I think my historian, he has been part of my, let's call it, team of designing memorials from day one when I started. So, he, yes, he's a fascinating, the most 
beautiful person. When we finally realize that that's going to be the letter, that I mean, that's going to be the word, and let's say the design kind of crystallized, then I had to find the company who would be able to do it. Yes. When we knew that it was going to be steel, uh, I had to look for the company who is capable of rolling it. Because again, because of that space, I could not make a small design. I had to produce the life-size model right, uh, out right. of plywood. And then in the studio, I build another wall size of your building. And I try to manipulate that curve because it's not an arch, right, as you right, know. Right, right, right. It's a very specific curve, and it's placed, as you remember, yeah. very specifically. Yeah, I figured that out when I tried to photograph it, that it wasn't a, <laughs> uh, yeah. Here we go, yeah. yeah. The better the sculpture, the worse the photograph. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, that's comforting. Yes. Yeah, good, good. Uh, the good, good yeah. sculpture is practically impossible to photograph. So the when the, we finalize all the details, that's the curves, that's how it's going to be. Right. And that was done on a life-size model. So when I finally did it, uh, we knew all the parameters. So then the question comes, buy steel. So when I started the project and I found the company and <clears throat> start talking to them, it was a year ago. I could have done it for half as much money. And then while I was designing and thinking about going smaller or less, people know people, and the metal went twice as much up. What did they use this for, uh, apart from It's sculptures? steel. Oh, it's that a three-inch steel? What are you doing? Oh, no. The, all the bridges are built at Cortown. Really? It's a really? construction material. It's oh, a see. structural steel. It's oh, self... It calls when that red, red color of, of so-called patina, it's a rust. Right. But that rust skins up that particular that alloy, it skins up and it, it calls in business, it passivates the destruction of the metal right. by practically protecting itself sure, by sure. its own rest. Yeah, what's well, quite beautiful, I, sh I should just point that out, the, the, the color of this piece, not only is the scale perfect for the mm -hmm. building, but the color's perfect for the building. Our building is uh, sided with red cedar, mm -hmm. and somehow this just uh, complements Somehow, just complements <laughs> it perfectly. So uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you they, know, yeah. Simon, um, we when you we got to that, there was a, a a lot that went before that because we started with the idea that we would do figures that yeah. he would do right. because Simon's work is very. Um, Let's say it's Jewish in a way, mm -mm. the way I know, but it's Yiddish in the way that it's soulful and it has sweat. His, his, um, his figurative pieces have a communicate right. so, so beautifully to who we perhaps are, where we came from, you know, and what is great about what happened with this when Simon first said to me, what do you think of Corten Steel? And I said, yes, because both Leaf and I understand that you can go beyond. He stepped out of his own box, right. which is basically, is, is strongly yeah. figurative, and created what was right for us. And for me, it's, uh, and I think for all of us, it's a metaphor. We, we come from an old world tradition, as Simon does, with the, all the training and the history, and we are moving forward 
in a young and strong way. And that's what this sculpture is. It's, it's, great. it's, great, it's yeah. indestructible. It has rust on it. It's strong. It's and it's imagery. And it's, also, it's fun though too. It's oh, fun totally. and it's playful and it's got a it's got a wonderful energy. To and it. it's right. got yeah. constantly changes with the light. It throws yeah. different shadows. It's right. it's, it's right. very yeah. much alive. Yeah. Well, Lee so and I were so. here when uh, Adams and Ruxton, our local contractor, came in to move it off the truck mm -hmm. to its site, which was probably only what fifty feet away. That only took two hours, and we were afraid the bobcat was going to tip over at any moment. So we can vouch for the fact this is a heavy piece of uh, <laughs> a heavy piece of work. I want to pick up on what Lee said about Please. kind of the journey from the old country to the new, because you, of course, traversed that uh, that distance yourself. You were born in Kazakhstan, is that That's right? true. I was born in Kazakhstan, moved to Moscow, grew up in Moscow, became an artist in Moscow, and in 1991, when the wind hit the fan, we were finally lucky that they let us go. By that time, all members of my family, my parents, my younger brother were already in the United States. I see. So I was the last member with my wife and my four years old son. So I want to point out with the sculpture again that it's not just the word Yiddish, of course. It has an inscription on both sides of it as well. Yes, because, you know, again, like Lee said, I'm a sculptor, which means I do sculpt. Sculpt comes from a sculptor comes from the Italian word scarpellione, which is a very specific tool, which the, the idea behind that tool, that it goes anywhere in any direction, I which see. means every square inch of your surface, you've been there. And that's what I do. I sculpt things, a very haptic experience. So I kind of missed that in the production of this piece because it's an almost cerebral production. Mm -hmm. I did the model. Right, right, but then right. it was all computer generated and checked by computer and then turned formatted different language, da da da. So still it's all machine. Then cut by machine, rolled by a machine. So right. I, I miss that sense of producing that there's a lot of integrity in that metal in the way it curves. Right. And that's what I was looking forward, but still, where's my hand? Right. So However, having spent half my summer vacation two years ago faxing back and forth to you or emailing PDFs of these uh <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it, but uh, uh, every letter of uh, the poems that we ended up inscribing, and I know that you put a lot of attention into every single letter, Absolutely. every little pintle, every little strichel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, t the, the idea that we need a text, I remember I called you first time that I said, I think that it would be a good idea to have the text on it. And when you have a text on a piece of uncontinuous surface, it becomes an issue because the readability, well, it's not like a newsprint, I mean, newspaper article where it goes right to left, blah, 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 it's all clean. No. So it has to be semi-abstract text right. where you can grab the word and it exists on its own. So I, the first thing which was said, uh, what about some poetry? Because poetry has that abstract quality to it. Then every word can be taken separately and in a group. So that's when we came with a idea. And then I think you picked up the brilliant, absolutely brilliant quote for what we even Yes, right. We had a right. So what we did is we took two poems from the uh, great Vilna poet Avram Sutskever, who of mm -hmm. course was a partisan fighter in Vilna, uh, eventually made his way to Israel after the war where he published Golden Akate, which was the preeminent Jewish uh, Yiddish literary journal of the second half of the 20th century. And I'm going to read just one of the two poems that we that we chose. We couldn't fit the whole poem on the sculpture. It's no, big, no, no. but it's not that big. Yeah. So, uh, but we will put the full text on the wall of the building behind it. Um, but I'll read just the excerpt that we took. 
this was a poem about the uh, lead plates of the Ram Drukarai, uh, the Ram Publishing House was the main publisher of what was called the Vilna Shah, so the, the f most famous edition of the Talmud used throughout Europe. That uh, uh, was published by the Ram Drukarai for a very, very long time. And of course, when the Nazis came in and the partisans began organizing resistance, they needed um, bullets. And I don't know if this is actually rooted in historical fact, but it's certainly rooted in Sutzkever's imagination as a person who was there. And what he writes about is the partisans going into the uh, publishing house, the Ram publishing house, taking the lead plates that were used to uh, print the Talmud, melting them down and recasting them as bullets with which to fight for Jewish survival. So I'm going to just read you this. It says, Mir Träume badafen itzt werden Soldaten und schmelzen auf Keulen dem Geist von dem Blei. Das Blei hat geleuchten bei dem Eusgissen Keulen, mach Schoves zergangen an Eus noch an Eus, a Schurre von Bovel, a Schurre von Peulen, gesotten, gefleitzt in der Zelbeke Moss. And translation is, and we were dreamers, but we had to be soldiers, and melt down for our bullets the spirit of the lead. Letter by melting letter, the lead liquefied bullets gleamed with thoughts. A verse from the Babylon, from the Babylonian Talmud, a verse from Poland, seething, flowing into the one mold. Uh, very powerful, and very of course, uh, fits the metallurgical character of this as, as well. So, how did you actually inscribe it? How did you get that onto Bef the, Before, know? how, I think that the fact that these words came up on the surface is again adding another layer of complexity and the symbolism to the work. We don't fight, and now we became soldiers. We don't have word for the weapon, and now we're making weapon out of what we are. Yes, and a profound resistance of every sort, not just military Absolutely, resistance, but, yeah. but a kind of spiritual and Absolutely. cultural resistance as well. So all yeah. this together goes into the surface of the steel, you know, and so now back, go back to how they have that raw piece of steel flat, right? and they burn that. They yes. laser, layer, like plasma, whatever, it burns, it's not etching, it's not engraving. It burns the image into the body of steel. Huh? I think uh, that's just beautiful itself. Well, it's beautiful when the sun shines from different angles the letters just pop out at you, and, and the poem becomes so uh, prominent and visible. Yeah. And the font is beautiful, and um, the way Simon is so connected to this piece, and, and you could feel it as, as he speaks, that he was able to point out to me that first line, you know, we were dreamers. And, I mean, there's so many letters, and there's so m much on the, the uh, the piece, but he went right there and said, this is what it says, yeah. which is thrilling. Thrilling you know? and very powerful and enormously evocative. So yeah. it's, it's a powerful piece. I'm going to end with you, Lee, and just ask you, so uh, I can't remember now, I guess it was the week before last when the truck showed up at right. exactly <laughs> 8 o'clock in the morning in this enormous flatbed truck. First he called me at oh, he 4 o'clock. Called you time. in uh, Washington yeah, he State. Says, yes, where is the National Book Center? Yes, I am yes. passing back and forth, and it takes me 10 miles to turn around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was very impressed that he managed to back into our driveway altogether. Right, right. And Lee and I showed up around the same time, and at 8 o'clock sharp, he uh, 
pulled up the truck, took off this kind of amazing telescoping tarp that he had and suddenly unveiled this uh, sculpture. So Lee, what did you think when you saw it for the first time? Was it what you would expect it? Um, well, no, actually. I don't know that you can expect it. It was always an idea, and the idea was very welcome idea, but you don't know until you see it um, what what it's going to be, and you certainly don't know until it's in place how it's going to feel, you know. And um, I was a little anxious because I was the point person yes. to, <laughs> for Simon to make sure that it went in correctly because, again, he paid so much attention to those details of exactly where it would be and how level it would be. And so, um, so once it sort of, as you said, it took so much to get it even onto the flat of the bricks, we were all holding our breath. And um, once it was there and settled down, I think almost instantly I knew this is right. Yeah, I felt you exactly know? the same way. I felt really, um, you know, given that it was such a long process for over two years, the sense of accomplishment was joyous. Well, here, here, and I say <laughs> yasha koyach to, to both you, Lee Hutt, Simon Kogan. You, you are terrific. Every organization should have a sculptor on its board for exactly such occasions. Uh, and, I I want to say thank, and I want to say thank you to your uh, fellow committee member, Leif Rosenblatt, who of course yes. sponsored the sculpture as right, well. And we are right. enormously grateful to him for funding this piece. Right. Uh, I just want to give you just some sense of the scale, the, the, the weight of all of this, that the pintula alone, the little dot that goes underneath the second, you had weighed 150 pounds and took two grown men to carry it into place. So right. this is a... It's is a not a metaphor? Tell what? <laughs> It is a, uh, it's a magnificent work, and we invite all our members and our listeners to come and see it for themselves and to stay for a long time because it's almost kinetic in the way that it changes uh, as the light changes. So come visit us. Come see this piece. Uh, it'll be absolutely worth the trip, as is the whole visit to the Yiddish Book Center. So thank you both again. Oh, thank you. It's a great thank honor. Good. That. Good. You've been listening to White Goat Radio, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For additional interviews and conversations, you can visit our website. That's at yiddishbookcenter.org slash audio. Our producer is Emma Morgenstern. I'm Aaron Lansky. Zymir Stark and Gesint. Be strong, be well, and tune in again soon.